Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. It's Tracy, and I am here with super producer Alex for another episode of Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. And Alex, I got to tell you, this one is the most intense interview I've ever done, ever. Lay it on me. What was so intense about this one? I got Eric Maddox. First of all, who? Okay, that's who we're talking about, Eric Maddox? Eric Maddox. Now, Eric Maddox, I'm even getting goosebumps talking about it because I'm telling you, this guy is something else. Now, he was involved with Saddam Hussein, wasn't he? He was the lead interrogator, or maybe the only interrogator, uh, to get the information that led to where Saddam was. And he he was over there, and he tells all about exactly how the U.S. was operating over there to to catch Saddam. And I, and I got to tell you, this guy, he's the most intense guy I've ever talked to ever. Mm-hmm. And I would tell him anything he wanted to know, too. So, OK, tell me about that sensation, because when you tell me that this was the interrogator, mm-hmm. the, the first thing that came to mind is that, you know, we've all had conversations with certain individuals somewhere along the line in our lives where that person just had a commanding presence in a mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. to the point that you were not in charge. Exactly. Exactly. I presume that that's exactly the kind of person this was. What was that like to have a conversation with him for you? I was trying to keep up and I was trying to ask him the smartest questions that I could ask. And I felt like I was failing all over the place. And he was just on point. He knew what he was going to say. He knew what he wasn't going to say. And and everything, his whole presence is, um, I am still in awe of. Tracy, I got to say, I've never seen you or heard you this flustered about something. I'm telling you, it was one of those connections. And and he, um, I, I, I can't even remember how I got connected to him. Oh, I know, through a speaker bureau. Because, uh-huh. you know, he he's out speaking and he does some of the coolest programs for companies out there on negotiation, high stakes negotiation and uh, persuasion and influence. And um, I was just like, I was in awe. Huh. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I would love to talk to you about all sorts of things that are 80s and 90s music related, but frankly, we've been doing that, but I'm telling you, Eric wouldn't have any part of that. No, not at all. I think that this actually sounds listening to Eric Maddox sounds a whole lot more interesting than listening to me. So why don't we just go there and do that? I think we got to do it. Let's go. Let's go. It's Tracy and I have what I know is going to be a fantastically interesting interview today. I got Eric Maddox in the house. How are you? Good, Tracy. How are you? I'm fantastic. And um, I'm just going to cut to the chase here and you're going to fill in the gaps because you're one of the main guys who was responsible for catching Saddam Hussein. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah. And I got a lot of notes and there's a lot of notes to be had on you. A Delta team interrogator. And um, let's see, you won the Legion, Legion of Merit and the Bronze Star and probably a bunch of other stuff. So um let's we will get to that stuff let's talk about saddam 
and how you helped engineer that catch. Cause he, he was slippery. He was a slippery guy. So jump in wherever you want to start. Let's hear it. Sure. So Tracy in 2003, we go to Warren Iraq. Mm -hmm. Saddam Hussein was the ace of spades. Mm -hmm. We created that deck of playing cards with Saddam as all his senior regime members. Mm -hmm. And I was assigned to the joint special operations command. Okay. I was specifically attached to a Delta Force team in Saddam's hometown of Tikrit. My job was to conduct the interrogations to hopefully get good intelligence for the team right. to go on missions. I During my deployment, I conducted 300 interrogations. Wow. And my very last deployment in Iraq was the one guy, you know, through those 300 interrogations, you kind of hopefully build an idea of who knows what. And there was one man, I believe, knew the exact location of Saddam. We captured him the morning, about two o'clock in the morning on December 13th, 2003. And I interrogated him. He <laughs> liked it and said, I'll do it. And that evening he took the Delta Force team to the exact spider hole. Wow. Okay. So let's back up a little bit and then we'll get to the spider hole. Cause he was in like a little cave, wasn't he? So, um, because I don't know anything about how interrogations really go down overseas. So are they bringing people into you that that you that that they are suspicious of or that they think knows something? Are you sitting in a little room in a tent or like in a base somewhere? Like, how does it really go down? What happens? Sure. So it it varies uh -huh. because a war zone's a war zone. If anybody says, well, here's the normal war zone, there is no war, normal war zone. Uh -huh. um, there are detention facilities that the United States military might have. There could be two, three, 500 prisoners there. Okay. Now I could go down there and interrogate any of those. Okay. But for me, I was on the Delta force team and they would do the captures mm -hmm. of let's say a mid-level, low-level fighter in the insurgency. Okay. My goal was, okay, I might have an idea of where they are in the network, was to go up the network and then possibly even bring some enlightenment to you know, depth of the network. Okay. So my interrogations were from the prisoners that this team brought in. Okay. And then that would lead to more prisoners. And you kind of, you hopefully build the ladder and then go up. Uh-huh. Okay. So there's a couple issues here that I think would make doing these particular interrogations really tough. One is, ain't nobody wants to talk to you. Okay. Other thing is um, the language barrier. So talk about those things and overcoming those. Like, how did that really work out? So the language barrier, I hate to say it is what it is, uh -huh. but I did have translators. So the Delta Force team had four translators. Okay. So you do translations and uh -huh. it slows things down. Obviously, there's a delay. Uh -huh. You think you might miss nuance. I, I don't think you miss quite as much nuance as you think. So let's okay. just say, okay, it slows things down. Uh -huh. But I think it's an assumption to assume they don't want to talk to you. Uh -huh. Now, it's an assumption they don't want to tell you the truth, but... They don't want to incriminate themselves. They don't want to create a worse situation from talking to you. Uh -huh. So your question is, can you create a better situation if they make the decision to cooperate with transparency uh -huh. or 
not. Right. Okay. So how are you going to get them to a spot where they decide to tell you the, the truth? Because that just seems, I, I mean, are they, are they easy to, easy to, let's say break or uh, I'm so fascinated by this and I have so many questions. Like what, what's your first tactic even to find out if they're lying or not with all the translations and the, and the whole thing. So we can determine whether or not they're lying, Mm -hmm. but if they're lying, that doesn't do me any good. Right. Right. So it's not, they're lying, they're guilty, put them in prison. That we've captured them. It's a war zone. It's not like they're going to trial. We decide how long they're going to stay in prison. Uh So the lying doesn't matter. I mean, it depends on what you want from them, Uh whether or not they're willing to give it, but they have to make the decision. They, uh-huh. They've got to decide, does talking, cooperating with you, does that make it better for them? I mean, it's 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 really, it's it's that it's almost that simple. Uh-huh. So I have to build a relationship with them. And when I say build a relationship, you're talking within minutes. I'm not talking hours. Uh-huh. Where they go, you know, I'm in a predicament. Working with this individual is better than not. Wow. And so is there, cause, cause I know you do a lot now with, um, cause you're a speaker, like, like I am, uh, with, with listening and, and things along those lines. Uh, is, is that part of your tactic to get them to decide it's better to work with you than, than, than lie? Or what's, how, how do you really go about it? What's, cause you only have a few minutes or you choose to only take a few minutes. What's, what's the best path forward with these guys? So I don't think it's part of my tactic. I think it is the tactic. Okay. So if you want to know, you know, the foundation of my tactic yeah. is that I'm under the belief that communication uh-huh. is not um, the ultimate goal of communication is not the transfer of information, right? So if we're transferring information, we're either making somebody informed uh-huh. or we're influencing them. Right. Or we're trying to, you know, trying to convince them. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the purpose of community, the, the, the real, the deepest purpose of communication. Uh-huh. I think it's a test that okay. says, I'm going to communicate with you. And the first thing, maybe it's subconsciously, is I'm going to figure out, can I trust you? And the trust is not, are you going to hurt me? Are you going to do wrong by me? Uh-huh. I think the purpose of communication is someone wants to figure out, hey, in this conversation, are you making it about you and your goals and your objectives? Because even uh-huh. if you're trying to do the right thing, uh-huh. I'm not really interested. And the fact that you're on the United States military and we're against each other and you guys just blew down my door and captured me, yeah. I really have no desire because I don't think talking with you is going to help me in any way whatsoever. Uh-huh. But if you pass the test, which is most people, it's subconsciously accomplished yeah. that they go, you know what? We, are not, we may not be friends. I don't even know if I can trust this guy to do right by me. Uh-huh. But right now they communicate to seek to understand my perspective versus versus convincing me of theirs. Uh, if you pass that test, uh-huh. and I call it empathy-based listening, uh-huh. they will then at least figure out if we're going to engage in a relationship. Got it. Okay. So what is their general perspective over there? Cause I I've never spoken with anyone from the desert over there. Like what's, what is their perspective? I mean, it's almost like asking what's the perspective of an, of an American. 
Right. And that's so, a hard question to answer. I mean, it's it's like, well, which one anywhere? Everybody uh-huh. has a different perspective. Sure. And you could even ask, I mean, their perspective on life is going to be different before the war and after the war. Their perspectives could be different 10 minutes before they're captured versus 10 minutes after. Okay. Okay. I, 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 I truly, I couldn't generalize anybody's perspective. Got it. Okay. Okay. So how, so, so you did these 300 interviews. The last one was the fella who led you to Saddam and he, um, so then, so then take us through the interview that where, where you broke through, where you had the trust and, and you, and you ended up sending your team to, to find the guy you were after. Well, I didn't send anybody anywhere, just to be clear. They're okay. Delta Force and I'm uh-huh. not. So okay. I'm, they're okay. interrogators. So okay. I provided them the information. They use that information well. I just want to make sure we're clear on, yeah. you know. Okay. So, so how, how did that interview go where you got the information, you relayed it to the people who sent the team in? T- talk about that, like where, where, you, where you got the intel. So we captured the prisoner mm-hmm. and... I started the conversation. Uh-huh. He, because I had been in his hometown of Tikrit, the little bitty town, and I'd been with this team and we'd kind of gone up the ladder. Mm-hmm. He knew who I was, right? So he knew, okay, they, they, the reference was the interrogator in the blue shirt, mm-hmm. right? Okay. I was with this team. I was, I thought I was only supposed to be with this Delta Force team for a couple of days. I didn't bring enough clothes on because they, I was in Baghdad and they sent me up to Tikrit and I was supposed to be there for a couple of missions. Well, I didn't have many clothes. So I had this blue shirt and I wore it all uh-huh. the time for my interrogations. Okay. So when he saw me, he knew who I was and he kind of wanted an idea of what I knew about him, right? Like uh-huh. who do they think they got here? Because oh. when we captured him, he didn't say, Hey, I'm Muhammad Ibrahim. I'm uh-huh. I'm I'm the guy you're looking for. Uh-huh. So once we established, I am who I am, uh-huh. and I know who you are. And I said the only thing we can really talk about is the exact location of Saddam. Uh-huh. And his initial response is the president. You give me way too much credit. He kind of gave a little smirk. So I I knew he was a good natured kind of a happy bodyguard like he's kind of a fun loving whiskey drinking domino playing type guy okay so he was coming off with that nature and so i kind of cut it the two as you say cut to the chase right Uh and i explained you know we have 40 of your family members you got them involved in the insurgency i didn't give you any credit i did not know who you were before i came to this country Uh but those 40 family members that we have here uh-huh. They gave you credit, and I use the statement, they gave you credit for ruining their lives. Oh. Right? Well, for a reason. Uh-huh. I, I, I didn't know what he was going to do, right? And he kind of rolls his eyes. Like, uh-huh. he just kind of rolls his eyes. And I took that as not rolling his eyes at me, but rolling his eyes at Saddam and my misunderstanding of, of and I, I kind of interpreted it as like, I didn't get them involved. Uh-huh. I work for him. He got them involved, right? Okay. And and so at that point, I was like, okay, we we I, maybe I have an enemy here, right? But maybe he has a disgruntled feeling towards his boss. Maybe there's not complete loyalty. So I ran down, you know, just 
here's, here's, here's what we've done. Here's what I need you to do. Uh-huh. And I waited kind of until he's at least going, okay, he's, he's, he's trying to gain my perspective. He was in a lot of denial. And then I basically said, your wife had a baby, right? Cause his wife, we knew everything about this guy at this point, his wife had a baby that was three months old that was living in this area called ocean is done it's irrelevant it's a section of to and i said your wife's and that is as at her dad's house your father-in-law at this location i said we we never went there mm-hmm. what why wouldn't we go where else would you go to find somebody than your spouse yeah and i said because that baby's not going to survive that raid mm-hmm. i said what we wouldn't put that baby's life in danger. Uh-huh. I'm like, what? What's he gonna do for you now? What's he gonna do for the baby? Uh-huh. Right. So I wanted to separate. I wanted to say you have options. Uh-huh. I know you don't trust me, but let's take one I know. Let's take your child, your wife, this three month old, and and let's take what Saddam would do for you. Uh-huh. And I think he started to register because Saddam, like, if you think about Saddam's children, his two boys, right? He knew Saddam wasn't protecting them during the war. They'd been killed in July. They were in a completely different location. Why does he expect Saddam to even think about him? Think about his own children. He got Uh his 40 family members involved. And I'm just seeing if there's a wedge. Uh If there's a wedge where he can go, okay, put yourself in reality. Uh Right? And and that's sort of where we started the conversation. Wow. And so... So, so, so you're gently leading him to realizations of his future. Sounds like we definitely, I definitely needed him to take away the mindset of don't ever give up the boss. Don't, don't ever give mm-hmm. up the president. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would use the terms like, look at how many of us are here. We're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. If there's a future it has to be without Saddam. It, mm-hmm. There's, I need you. I just need him to visualize the possibility of giving up Saddam. Mm-hmm. Just what? Okay. You, you, you can't tell somebody to do something. They, they have to at least imagine it. Uh huh. So, so then, what did he start talking about? And how long did it take you to get to? Oh, he's at this address. Well, he went at address. He's at a farmhouse. Okay. It took it took approximately an hour and forty five minutes. Okay. Yeah. And so, is it the kind of thing where you're asking uh, directly where is he? Like we know you know where he is, or how did you lead him to that realization or to that point where he was comfortable, either telling you or leading leading the team there? So it's not so much where is he. I know you know where he is. It is this doesn't get over. Uh-huh. until we capture Saddam. And then uh, then so the next phase was the separation of saying, because you got to imagine, if you know where Saddam is, you mm-hmm. think, if I tell, I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Like, because I knew. Uh-huh. But if we can go, wait a second, you are a bodyguard. And I had the benefit, this bodyguard was nowhere on the deck of cards. Like, he mm-hmm. really wasn't a known bad guy. Okay. So it was as if, listen, you're not the mission. You're, you're nobody. Uh-huh. There's there's $25 million that we're going to give if somebody walks in the door 
We give them $25 million for tracking down Saddam. You were taking orders. Remember, you didn't want to do this. This, uh-huh. this is things you had to do, uh-huh. right? To kind of give him the, the idea that it would, could, could occur. And then he kind of weeps and he talks and he starts getting emotional and he starts seeing things like, you know, I don't know if I should do it. Right. Oh, so that's a no brainer. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go, okay, then no, if he can do it, you know, I don't know if I should do it. And I'm like, yeah, you should really (laughs) do think you should. Uh huh. And, so we're kind of at a stalemate. My clock's coming down and I'm running out of time, right? Like mm-hmm. literally a, my tour had come up. So I'm right. leaving the country sure. because he's in, because I believed he was in Crete. Nobody in the United States military thought he was in Crete. And so my Delta Force team, the, the commander I worked for, his name was Bam Bam, um, was the only person that really thought we were right. Mm-hmm. So when my tour's over, they send me to Baghdad. We did one last raid, and this is where we got our guy. So my tour's up, and I'm leaving. And I told him, I said, nobody thinks he's up there but you and me. Mm-hmm. I am leaving. And fortunately, the interrogator's like, hey, you're, you've got to get ready for your flight. Mm-hmm. Admiral McRaven was going to be on the flight, and we're leaving the country. He's like, yeah. he's not waiting on a staff sergeant. Let's go. And I told him, I said, this, this isn't a joke. We're not pulling a ruse on you. You know who I am. You know, I know that he's up there. Everybody else thinks you're just an insurgent leader. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to be, you're going to rot an old man in this prison. Mm-hmm. Need it now. And he says, I got to think. I just need to think. And it's like, I don't have time to think. I'm leaving. And I got him up and I'm walking him to his cell. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're, this is it. I need it now. And I put him in his cell and he's like, oh, I just got to think. And I'm like, I'm, you're never going to see me again. I truly, I didn't think I was going to see him again. I didn't think right. he was going to break. Uh-huh. And I said, you, when you change your mind and you're going to take us to Saddam, I, I need you to go crazy. I said, if you go nuts, crazy enough, and he says, these guards actually have to come talk to you because nobody's going to come talk to you again because they don't really know what you can do. Mm-hmm. Closed the door, left, went and packed my bags. A few minutes later, the interrogators are driving me to my airplane. I'm leaving <laughs> off. My buddy who's going with me, he knows my the link. I was using my buddy's linguist. So as we're leaving... He said, hey, just talk to so-and-so, the linguist. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to tell you the bodyguard, your prisoner, is going nuts. Oh. And I was like, what does that mean? He uh-huh. goes, no, your, your linguist needed you to know your prisoner's going nuts. And I'm like, he's doing it. He's, he's doing it deliberately. So I said, hold the plane, jumped out of the truck. Wow. Ran across the tarmac, got Muhammad Ibrahim out. Mm-hmm. And we had a quick discussion about what are you going to do with my family? What are you going to do? And I said, listen, all these 40 people, they're nobody as well. They're not on the deck of cars. They all go home. Mm-hmm. I need it. I need it. And he's like, slowly, he's like, you need to go to a farm of Kais name Jassim. It's uh-huh. a village in Adwar. It's a little bit south of Tikrit. Mm-hmm. We just sketch the map and I go back and the interrogators are back. And I'm like, my man broke. He did it. And they're like, Yeah. Yeah, that, great, Eric. I'm like, no, no, no. This guy really knows where Saddam is. And they're like, dude, there's an admiral. The head of JSOC is going to be on this flight. Mm-hmm. Go get on the plane. And I gave him the sketch and the map. And I said, call Bam Bam. That was my commander. I said, yeah. call Bam Bam and Tell him that we got the bodyguard last night. 
Uh-huh. Oh, bam, bam. He's ready to go get Saddam. And they took me to the flight. We walked on the flight and my buddy, who's a Marine, told Admiral McRaven and told everybody, he's like, hey, we got a prisoner wanting to take him to Saddam. And I can assume they just thought, you know what? I don't need a staff sergeant and a gunny sure. telling us if it's true. They Somebody else would have told us. Uh-huh. So we left. So we flew to Doha, Qatar. And by the time we got off the flight, there was a group of people to meet Admiral McRaven. And they pulled him aside. He comes back to me and was like, what happened last night? What 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 happened this morning? I'm like, sir, Intercrete, the top of the t- of our chain was captured. And I interrogated him. Mm-hmm. And he's ready to get Saddam. He goes, they're planning a raid. They, they just, they're going to have him go on the raid. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going back. And I'm like, cool, awesome. And he goes, I need you to stay, Eric. They're expecting you to brief tomorrow morning. Oh. Like, so I didn't go back. So you couldn't go. Oh. Well, let's say, you know, that's such is life. But mm-hmm. we go, actually, you stay in a hotel. Next morning, you wake up. I show up for my briefing uh-huh. and knock on the door. And like, that's officer answers like, all briefings today are canceled. Clunk. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, mm-hmm. kind of looking to see if anybody's face looks weird. Like, if you yeah. found Saddam. Uh-huh. And the sergeant who took us said, this is the interrogator who got the bodyguard last night. Did, yeah. did anything happen on the raid? And he pulls me in and is like, your staff's aren't Maddox. And I said, yes. And he said, uh-huh. we got him. Your wow. Did it. Wow. So, how'd you feel then? Like, how do you, I, I, I've never been in the military, right. When the objective gets accomplished, like what, what does that do? Cause, cause you guys are pretty tough. And was there like, what went on inside you? Uh, I mean, for me, it's the only time I've ever had like an out of body experience. Uh huh. So my bot, I'm not sure what my body did. I know I didn't say anything, but I, I felt like I was on the s- ceiling looking down. I really, oh, really? felt like I was looking down. Uh huh. And then my look over, you know, when I kind of, came to i didn't uh-huh. pass i just was standing there right my gunny buddy was kind of shaking me and he was like holy smokes yeah but from that you did it you did it uh-huh you know and then i started hearing things again and i just stood there i was just elated wow that's crazy yeah. so is it was there like a big celebration or anything or how does all that really go nobody no. really i don't know like I'm not saying we're heartless. I'm sure everybody was pumped. Uh huh. I've never seen anybody really, really celebrate. Like, I don't know if everyone's too tired. Everyone's excited. There was. Yeah. I felt elated. I don't know how anybody else felt. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you you guys are pretty no nonsense over there. So, um, but we're emotional. I mean, we we have. It's not. I mean, everyone was pumped, but. Uh-huh. You still got to go on. I mean, it's it's not like the next day's some sort of party or something. Well, right. I, I wouldn't expect a big party, but so it w- was that the end of your tour then, or yeah. as as planned? And so, so you just came home, and what happens? 
Well, I didn't go home. I went. I I was sent to Washington D.C. to okay. the Pentagon. Okay, so to I was taken. Though, so okay. I, I was. I was sent back to the United States, and I was taken to the Pentagon to Secretary Rumsfeld. He was the Secretary of Defense at the time. Mm-hmm. To his office, and I briefed Secretary Rumsfeld. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And and I mean that must have been a big honor just in it in and of itself. Or is that a regular day for you? I don't know. It's, it sounds like a pretty big deal. I've never been in the Pentagon. Right. Like, I was a staff sergeant. I didn't ever really talk to generals or admirals. So uh-huh. for me, it was, I mean, it wasn't like an honor. It wasn't like a celebration. Secretary Rumsfeld was very serious. And he oh, yeah. wanted to brief. He wanted to brief me. He said, tell me how it went down. How'd you do the interrogations? It was mm-hmm. great. I mean, it, it, I appreciated the fact that he wasn't there to celebrate. He was there to get a briefing. Just get the facts. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then uh, at what point, like what happened next in your career? Did you stay um, in the service? Did you get out and you're like, I, you know, you know, you have a bigger purpose. How, how did all that pan out for you? It's a good question. You never know. I mean, you really track down Saddam. You don't know where you're world's going yeah so the department of defense because of the capture of saddam there was there was an element of the dia that didn't have interrogators so i was an army interrogator chinese mandarin and they kind of borrowed me for the war okay so secretary rumsfeld says you know he wanted his own team 30 civilian interrogators okay because of the way we found Saddam through my interrogations, he created, or he, he didn't create, he, uh, he got the funding for the DIA to have a 30 person civilian interrogation team. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to leave the army slightly, you know, a few weeks early, but mm-hmm. I was the first civilian interrogator hired by the DIA. Okay. Okay. And took that job. I ended up doing seven more deployments. I did a total of 2,700 interrogations as a civilian interrogator for the DIA. Huh. Okay. So was it like it was before where you're at a detention center and they're just bringing them in to interview them? And I mean, all day? It was never that. Remember, I told you that's not how it goes. Okay. Okay. So so then what what was... a team and we capture them and then we talk to who we captured. Right, right, exactly. So I just didn't know the frequency of captures, like how how that actually pans out. Well, you capture people all the time, uh-huh. but they don't. They're not. They're they're rarely like Saddam. Uh-huh. Right, right. But but they're always an insurgent, an informant, a uh-huh. driver, a financier. These networks have thousands of people. Okay. So you're capturing individuals they can be at any level mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you've just got to build your way up build your way up and and figure out who's who and put together the org chart kind of wow okay so biggest thing you learned over there um interrogations weren't what i thought they were going to be Oh, wow. Okay. So explain that a little bit. What did you think and how did they pan out to be different? I thought it was going to be about persuasion. I mean, I, I thought it was going to be you sit in front of a person who's uh-huh. in trouble uh-huh. and you say, you're in trouble. 
you better help me. But if you do help me, I'm going to, I'm going to help you. And it's more about making them make that decision. Mm -hmm. They have to make a decision. Okay. You can't, you can't persuade somebody mm -hmm. to really make a decision. They've got to make their own decision. And that's not what I expected. Uh-huh. Got it. So you expect a little a little more coercion, I guess. Is, would that be the right way to put it? Or I think coercion's a different word, right? Like yeah. that that's more of threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. I mean, the reality is they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're gonna spend a lot of time in prison. Right. They may never see their family again. But if you kind of say, we know who you are. Mm -hmm. You're in a world of hurt. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're you're never going to see your family. You need to give me this. If you give me this, I know how to take care of you. Versus, I'm not saying you say, so what do you want to do? Uh -huh. Right? I'm not saying that. But when you sit down with the prisoner, you said, Eric, how do you get them to talk? They'll talk. Now, they're not going to be honest because they don't know if where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But if I come to a prisoner and say, here's your trouble, here's how I'm going to help you, but you have to do exactly what I say. That is my plan. That's my agenda. Uh -huh. They have their own agenda. Sure. They don't know. They So their question, hey, Mr. Interrogator, are we going your agenda or are you going my agenda? Mm -hmm. Because their agenda it's going to result in the exact same thing my agenda is. Their situation is going to be better. Uh -huh. And they're going to give me the information I need. We can do it their way or we can do it my way. Uh -huh. My way does not work. They don't want to do it my way. Huh. They want okay. to do it their way. Uh -huh. They don't care to do what I need them to do. They've, ne they've never, that's not their problem. They just want to do it their way. Mm -hmm. Got it. So then your job is to be more flexible in your communication and your questioning to get it to go their way while still getting your, did I read that right? Or um, No, I don't think you read that right. Okay. That the way you said, or at least the way I heard it was okay. make, I think the way I heard you say it was kind of get them to think they're doing it their way, but get it my way. No, we're going to do it hundred. We're going to do it their way. Okay. Okay. I'm going to achieve the exact same goals. Uh-huh. We're just wow. going to do okay. it their way. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. I get it now. I get it now. So then you went back over there a, a lot, like as a civilian and you did you have any other big information wins or um how did all that because i mean that's a it's a pretty long fight over there um even even after we got saddam so uh did you ever like what, what was your next big thing that happened over there or or was it generally just filling in the org chart and getting little pieces as you go and like tell me about that a little bit so in the world of war, there's there's always what they call emirs of the insurgency or key leaders. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the civilian world knows who most of those are, right? So if you look in the last 22 years, the people that any normal people would know would be 
Saddam, bin Laden, Zarqawi, Ayman Zawahiri, Mullah Omar. I mean, really, you got five people. Mm-hmm. Well, there's millions of insurgent fighters. So the the next time I went to Iraq with back with the Joint Special Operations yeah. Command using this technique, mm-hmm. we captured the fourth most wanted man in the world. Oh wow. Yeah. And that time I was actually on the raid. So oh. I didn't have so, so how, and how, it was how, actually the largest capture, the biggest, highest ranking capture since Saddam Hussein. So from 03 to 05, uh-huh. are the Saddam, and then the next highest was this guy whose name's Abu Talha, Muhammad Hal Shakar, but nobody knows who he is. Right. Well, I don't, but I'm taking your word for it that he's number four. So. <laughs> I mean, you can take my word for it, um, but so, what, it's not like I'm saying anybody knows who he is he's well, just well how does a raid like that go like like are y'all surrounding the house uh or is it a house at all is it a cave and you just grab him like what what goes on so every raid's different mm-hmm. so some raids are at night this particular raid with abu taha we were kind of in a pickle because we had known his path of travel and his vehicle had stopped and back up we knew his deputy's route of travel okay and it had multiple stops mm-hmm. we suspected that if we got the deputy he could take us to abu Taha, right you capture the bodyguard he takes us to saddam mm-hmm. so we're going after the deputy but we had all these locations over the city. So I hoped that he would be at the last one because many times they have drivers and they would drop them off. Mm-hmm. But we hit one of his last locations of the deputy and you just show up and rate it. Like mm-hmm. they surround it, but it's in the middle of the day. Yeah. So. I had a description of the deputy and he's supposed to be like really short and fat. Mm-hmm. And this was a man that was like six feet tall and kind of chubby. Uh-huh. Uh, but it somewhat fit the description of not the deputy, but the main guy. We yeah. didn't have a picture or we didn't have a good picture. But when I interrogated him and then I saw kind of, okay, we got a couple of wives here. We have some children uh-huh. that might fit some rumors of a description. And I knew that this guy was supposed to have a scar right here on his forehead. Okay. I didn't see the scar, but we went out. I kind of took him out in the sun. had a look at And when he squinched his eyes, the scar showed up. And so I was like, I think it's him. And they were like, we're not, he's not supposed to be here. This is the deputy. I'm like, I'm telling you. Uh And so we just took him back to the prison and it took me about 45 minutes just talking to him Uh and he said yep i'm abu taha i'm the guy wow yeah oh my gosh so then um how have you parlayed all of this because you're doing some different stuff now now are are you still doing the civilian interrogation thing or are you just you're just training okay i didn't think so i just wanted to make (laughs) sure i don't even know if that's legal oh you mean with the dia yeah yeah yeah. well i was with the dia from 2004 to 2014. Uh-huh. Okay. And then I retired and now I'm a speaker. Got it. So are you mostly split? Let's talk about what you're speaking on. Types of, uh, like, we're going to make you look awesome here, right? This is your advertisement segment. <laughs> so, okay. so, 
Um, wh- what do you, who, what kind of clients do you have? What are you teaching them? What kind of results are they getting? Like, how would someone really use you uh, to their advantage? Like to, because, because as speakers, what do we do? We make sure people save money, save time, or or save energy, right? Or make or make money, generally, okay. right? So, so where do you fit in that? Like, tell us, tell us what you do. This is your chance. Blow your horn. I teach people how to communicate to build trust. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. I teach them the six step process that I used to do these interrogations. Uh huh. So are you using this, uh, is it mostly for sales or is it like leading your team? Like, would you consider like leadership the main focus or like, where, where do you, where's your sweet spot? Any, any relationship that's going to benefit from trust. And obviously people aren't like, well, I want to have better trust with my neighbor. Let me pay you a bunch of m- money to help me do that. Right. So in corporations, where they deem the most, where they will pay to really help their people build trust is in sales mm-hmm. and then at the executive level. So it's executive leadership training and sales. Got it. Got it. And are there any um, industries that you tend to focus on or is it is it um, coming in from all angles? No, there's definitely focused industries. Um, I would say... Any industry in which they could get commoditized, right? Okay. So if you think banking, yep, I used to really need the banker because I had to, you know, give them all this information, and that benefited the banker. It was really hard to get a loan. Mm-hmm. I can get a loan online. Mm-hmm. I I just fill this out. Insurance, banking, wealth management, yep, counting real estate, right? It's like, oh, I I, I used to have to have a real estate agent to go buy a house. Mm-hmm. I can jump on Zillow and Boom. save 3%. Uh-huh. I, I, oh my goodness, I can do my stocks and bonds online. It's mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. So any industry where it's like, wait, the value we used to bring because, you know, we were the doorkeeper. Now, it's like, no, you have to build trust be- before they even are interested in your abilities. Uh-huh. Because what you used to be able to, to serve them with, a lot of that's available online now. Mm-hmm. So now it's about building, communicating to build trust. Mm-hmm. If, if, if I had to put it in, in specific areas, it's those industries. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and those are similar to the ones I... I speak for as well. So are you doing mostly longer trainings or keynotes or what's your split on that? It tends to be, we want to hear that story of tracking down Saddam. Yeah. But definitely teach us the six, six step process. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so they really want both. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I've been surprised lately. I'm, I'm a, uh probably three quarter keynotes and then the longer trainings are starting to grow uh, for whatever reason here after the pandemic. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm in. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you? Um, Just my, my website mm-hmm. is ericmatics.com. Got it. Okay. Easy enough. Info, info at ericmatics.com is my email. Okay. Okay. Cool deal. Cool deal. So, um, you are fascinating. And thank you for your service and everything that, that you've done uh, 
because it's just not easy. It's not easy to put your life on the line um, in going to a war zone at all. So, um, and I know I speak for everyone listening. I think you're fantastic. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, but it's, it really is my pleasure. I love being in the Army. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.